My name is Alan and uh, I'm originally from India and I'm doing a one-year program in Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. So if you don't know what Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, it's a centre based in Oxford that uh, teaches about Christian Apologetics. Christian apolo Apologetics is not we going around saying apology, uh, saying that we are Christian and therefore sorry about that. No, we don't do that. Rather, Apologetics come from a Greek word called apologia, meaning to give defense. So what we try to do is to study different aspects, science, philosophy, comparative religions, to provide defense for why we have what we have as Christians. So it's a one-year program along with Oxford University doing theology there. So that's what I'm doing. I have a few friends uh, in this room today who's doing that. Jess is doing that as well. So, so far it's doing well, and I'm originally from India. I don't know if you could make it out, but uh, my... Just to warn you uh, on that note, uh, I'm originally from India. I lived there for 20 years, and I've lived in England for five years, and I have a lot of American friends and an American fiancé. So, which means I have my English influenced by Indian English, English English, and American English. So... How I say it, how you hear it, it's your responsibility. <laughs> and if, if you hear something which I feel, you feel like I'm really doing bad, like swearing or anything like that, probably I'm not doing that. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just sticking with my notes. So there's no swearing words on my notes. It's just, it's just my accent playing it out there. The reason I say that because a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was doing a talk and um, I made a reference with C.S. Lewis and uh, from Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan and one, one of my friends, he's from uh, Northern Ireland, he came up to me and said, did you make a reference to C.S. Lewis and Islam? <laughs> What's that? He's like, oh, it's Aslan. I said, yeah, Aslan. So people have misunderstood me in the past. Uh, so just giving you a warning, uh, despite my beard, I'm still a Christian. Uh, that's not, not an offensive statement. People ask me a lot of questions like that because I'm a and my skin color is different and I have a beard. A lot of people have confusion of me being a Christian. So, I am a Christian um, and I will be preaching from Mark 10 to 13 to 31. You know, we live in a world where we have a lot of things as customized. We love customized stuff. For example, uh, my, my fiance is American and it was her birthday last week. So I made something which is me and her together, so customized. We have customized gifts, customized uh, shirts. You can put our head on our uh, T-shirt if you want to, get it printed. You can get it customized. We have customized mug. One of my friends uh, got a mug with a cat's face on. He loves it. Uh, it's, again, a customized one. So we also have things which tells us... Uh, I can help you achieve your ultimate level of success in life. We have self-help books all over the place, like you have immense potential inside you, I will help you to get that in. So normally what happens is like we don't like to be told what to do, what not to do, but we are okay to read a book because no one is going to tell you directly on face. So we are okay, someone else is actually helping me to customize who I am, understanding who I am. So we love, we live in a culture where we love doing that, like we love Customizing everything. Now, in our relationship with God, sometimes that's what happens. 
we try to customize our relationship with God. We try to try to figure it out based on our our uh, cultural understanding, based on our how things work with God, because we are at the end of the day control freaks. We we look for aspects. We we want to just hold on to something. We're going to build it up, build it up, build it up. Now. This particular passage, you see, there's two main passages, if you have the Bibles open, from 13 to 17, and the same, uh, 13 to 16, and from 16 to 31. There's the two chunks of uh, passage, and at the same time, the experience is Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem, basically. He's on a, on a walk. Uh, normal, normal thing about Jesus is when he's walking, he's actually doing something. That's how he goes. And uh, in this passage as well, he was somewhere, and children uh, was brought to him in the first segment, and later he was on the way to Jerusalem again. Now, disciples here, what, what we see in, in the passage here, in verse 13, it says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have uh, him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, the first time when I read through it, I'm like, Jesus... Uh, Disciples is meant to be normally a disciple is what you, you follow people around and uh, people normally the, make way for the master. Uh, again, I come from India, the place where where there's a lot of religious people, a lot of religious personalities. If you haven't been to India, when you are going, you have to uh, make sure you have to have a proper cultural shock. Uh, you, it's a religious country, uh, not just Christian. Christians are minorities, but when I say religious country, there's a high level of spiritual tendency in the country. So, normally, if someone wants to become rich, the best option is you turn out to be a spiritual guru. And just, since you just claim that you sat somewhere in the mountain and you got a divine revelation and come back to the Mumbai and open a big temple saying that God is talking to me. And the techniques are... You should have like 100 followers, or 10 is fine, basically 10 or 15, but they have to do your background check of people who are coming to you, so that you can prophesy things about those people. And at the same time, you just, you should not open your mouth. Certain basic thing, if you are a spiritual guru, you should not open your mouth. You have to sit in a proper position, hold your hands like this, and just open your eyes and say three sentences, something in Hindi. And if you are coming from a non-Indian, a non-Indian background, they will love you because you just, if you, if you are English, you're going to India and becoming a spiritual guru, that's the best thing ever could happen. You get a lot of money on you because people, people love that. But what the disciples normally do is actually make way for the, for the guru. And the sense of like, wherever, wherever this particular person goes, they go in front, they make clear all the ways, uh, because VIP is coming. So, that's a normal tendency, how things work. And that, that's how my head works, in the sense of like when, when a person in a high regard comes in, there will be the same thing like here. There will be police guards, there will be different kinds of people, all this kind of thing. Now, we are in that similar sort of situation here. Now, Jesus is in this place, and Jesus' disciples are making way of choosing who to go to Jesus, who not to. Now, but clearly, the following sentence, if you have the Bible open, again, it'll be great to keep your Bible open, so because I'm going to refer back to that. When Jesus saw this, he, became, he was indignant. 
Now, disciples did something which is completely not happy about. Jesus wasn't happy about what disciples did. That was crystal clear. But there was a clear misunderstanding between Jesus and disciples. So the possible question is like, did Jesus not give them a debrief before? Like, these are the things you got to do, these are not things to do. I don't think Jesus did that often. Uh, there was no debriefing for Jesus. Jesus just lived the life. Um, but what disciples, because there was no debriefing, they thought this is what Jesus loved to do. Jesus, Jesus just don't like children. Uh, the reason goes back to the aspect, again, how a culture, that culture understands children. Uh, the children weren't considered as high-class people. Uh, the first time when I came to London, I, I come from a social work and a psychotherapy background, so I was working in London. For my shock, totally, even though I did social work studies, I was so amazed to see how, how, many how many people in a team are happy to take care of a child. For example, if you get a report in our hand, there will be a social worker allocated, there will be a psychologist allocated, there will be a counsellor. I'm like, all these people working for the welfare of one child? It's like, yeah. Well, thank God, we will be lucky to have one person working in India for one child. But here we have a whole team taking care of one child's welfare. So the welfare system is great. But it wasn't the case like this back in Jerusalem. I would go with similar sort of attachment towards uh, those, those years in Jerusalem and now contemporary Eastern tradition, Eastern culture. In Eastern culture, again, children wasn't given a high regard. Hardly you would go up to a child and ask, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about it? No, no, you've been told to do, you just do it. That's the way it goes. That's why I love the culture here. Like, at least you give respect to the individual. Now, the setup there was completely different from contemporary society, how contemporary society sees the children. So they thought, you know what, Jesus doesn't want to have time. He is so busy. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He has another appointment. He should do that. And Jesus doesn't have time for his children because there's nothing good out of it. But Jesus completely wasn't happy about that. Jesus got, got indignant. And he said to them, Let the ch little children come to me. Do not hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, I would, be love, I would love to see Mark wrote disciples' reaction to that statement because we don't have an account saying that how did disciples react to that? It was completely a contradictory statement. Like Jesus, they're, imagine you know, in your mind, like children coming, children, they're not going to wait on their coming, and suddenly there's a rebuke from your master, and disciples are like, so we completely got it wrong. We don't have what the disciples said. But one thing that's clear is, commentators said, uh, the scholars were saying that disciples were actually making an exclusive privilege of being with Jesus, right? They were, they were actually uh, bringing up certain rules and regulations in who can go to Jesus, who cannot go to Jesus. Now the question is, like, where did they get the understanding? There was no debrief before. Jesus didn't say, these are the people I would love to meet. Uh, no, that, that wasn't there. Now, but Jesus, Jesus was really unhappy about the situation. And disciples, we don't know their reaction, but one thing is sure, disciples in their mind was claiming certain exclusive privilege that I have the right to follow Jesus, you don't have. Now, moving on from there, Jesus is out of that place. He's on his way, as uh, verse 17 says, as Jesus started on his way, 
a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now, here comes a person, according to society, is high class. Uh, how will we know? Because he had a lot of wealth. Uh, Mark here talks about he had a, he is a man at the same time he had a man of great wealth. Um, that's what we hear from verse uh, down there in 22. Matthew explaining the same story, he, he says that this, this man was young. And Luke explaining the same story said he was a ruler. So that's how we have this classical theological frame. This particular person was a rich young ruler coming up to Jesus Christ. So perfect candidate to be given an appointment for a meeting like Jesus Christ. He was a, he was a, Jesus was a guru. Jesus was a, as at that time, he was a well-reputed teacher. So he come, fell on his knees, Jesus' knees, and he asked question, good mass, good teacher. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, again, the word interchangeably here, in, in, in her, inherit eternal life, there is a different meaning as well. It can be understood as kingdom of God. What shall I do to get into the kingdom of God? Now, just before this meeting happened, we saw an encounter where Jesus' reaction to the law class according to the society. And here we have a higher class person coming to Jesus. Now, by any means, this, this young ruler was any exaggerating or anything like that. He just fell on the floor, again, I mean, fell on the knees. It doesn't mean he was exaggerating it. That particular culture is perfect to show respect by falling down. Uh, that's, again, an Eastern tradition as well. Even today, certain parts of the world, that's what you do. If you, if you have a, a high-reputed person, they kneel down and show the respect. So he did the same thing. And he just referred to Jesus as a good master. Now, I don't know whether he thought through that question or not, but he called Jesus a good teacher and went on to asking the main question. So the main question, according to him, was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus picked on the first bit as well. In response to that, Jesus, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, in that cultural basis, in Jewish cultural basis, the word good has been given weightage alongside with the divine nature. People, people, people don't really use the word good just fluidly, no. Now, but Jesus was picking on that and saying that you're claiming that I am good, meaning you're claiming equality, that you, you're telling me I am also have that equal stand with the divine nature. Now, Jesus didn't stop again for his response. He went on to answer his main question in verse uh, 19, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery. So Jesus listed all the six commandments, late, um, six commandments in the Ten Commandments, the last six commandments in Ten Commandments, which is in Exodus 20. Jesus listed those and said, you know the commandments. Now, those commandments Jesus listed were considered as uh, commandments related to relationship, how we manifest that. So, but suddenly, the response from this uh, young man is like, Teacher, he declared, all these things I had kept since I was a boy. Now, that sounds to me like sort of he wasn't happy about the answer Jesus gave. Uh, he, he, he was like expecting something more. Like, Jesus, listen, I came to you, you are supposed to be the teacher. You're supposed to be someone high, on the, high, high up there, knows everything. You're, you're so-called now known to be the person who is actually instituting the kingdom of God. 
So you would know better. So he come to you like, what shall I do? He's like, you know the commandments. Now, again, Jesus, uh, this is a classic statement. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What Jesus was doing there was telling him, you thought you were keeping the law. The law is ten commandments, not six. Now in keeping the six commandments, he broke the first two, meaning love your God and you shall, you shall not have any other God beside me. You shall not consider any other idols beside me. So Jesus was pointing out the wealth you hold or held on to, you're creating that as an idol. If you were not creating that as an idol, you'd have left that and followed, followed me. Now, following response, Jesus looked around. I mean, at, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So the very thing that this young ruler thought would get him to the kingdom of God, put him down. He thought he was keeping the Ten Commandments really well, but he wasn't. By following that last tense, last six commandments, he, he, he was actually trying his best to make his way into the kingdom of God. But he wasn't, because he was falling short of it. Because he, he, he couldn't see the other side, that he was creating an idol out of his own wealth, and he was breaking that law. Now, what we see here is the rich man trying to customize his own understanding, his own way to the kingdom of God. In the first passage we saw the disciples trying their own understanding of what they thought about the kingdom. They were customizing their standard to get into the kingdom of God. Now you see completely two different scenarios, but completely you can see the contradiction. They contradicted it. These two ways were not really Jesus' way. The, the kingdom of God wasn't the, the kingdom of God they thought it was. Now, what, what exactly the cultural understanding of the kingdom of God? What was Jesus' way? So, disciples thought Jesus understood certain things. Disciples thought the kingdom of God is that you have to, there is exclusive privileges, certain people are in, certain people are out. Now, the rich man thought you've got to keep all these rules, otherwise you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. But two, two different things, Jesus didn't agree with any of these things. Now, so what exactly is Jesus' way? What exactly is the kingdom of God? Now, it's okay. Um, so, by the end of this, uh, towards, towards um, 26, verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, that question it completely tells you. I, I come from a psychotherapy bank. I love analyzing people. For the first question people ask me when I say I do psychotherapy, they look at me and say, do you want to psychoanalyze me? I said, if you want me to. But that, that doesn't work like that. But I was, I was thinking similar sort of therapeutically about disciples' mind. How on earth? They, they're watching everything. They had an encounter right now with Jesus. Jesus really didn't like the way they reacted. Now they saw someone who is perfectly fit into the kingdom of God. Jesus turned him down. And they are on the other side. Well, how can anyone be saved now? They are totally confused. They are like, we have no idea what you are saying. There is clear contradiction somewhere. Now, so they did say that to God. It's, it's, it's good. Like sometimes you could tell Jesus, like, 
How does it make sense? Well, we're trying our best to do this, but this is not the way you want us. Then what is the way you want us to do? Like sometimes we get to the point where like, like we, we, our tendency, the, the reason is, the disciples and the young ruler, we have these instincts, as the, at the beginning I said, to control things. We like to do our own way. We like to want our own things. We want to, we want to stack it up. We want to say that I deserve it. I want to do this. That's our nature. It did not start, start now. I mean, I heard someone saying, the last years, 2014, the, the, the greatest, the, the, the word which used the most, does anyone know what that's? Selfie. And it's a new word. And it wasn't there, and now it's in the dictionary. Now, I heard someone saying that people are so obsessed about themselves in, in the 21st century. I'm like, I don't think so. People are obsessed from the beginning. <laughs> like, it's just that we have a lot of ways to be obsessed about now. So, we're just showing up. That's it. And there's the psychology of selfie now. There's a lot of things going on in self. But we are from the beginning. We have the nature of controlling things. We have to get things on our way. Our way. If something happened, which is not our way, we get so... In, I mean, we, we just don't like it. Now... It's the same thing. So they had the community, the society was feeding into those things. Now that's when I, I told about the, the self-help books. We have this instinct of like, I want to I get better. I want to get it on my own way. Now then we have, we walk down the street, we, get a, we, get, we see a book like, I can make you happy. Or, or do six, six methods to get into whatever safe place you want to. And we love to read it. I want to see what I can improve in myself. Now we apply that same thing into our relationship with God. Like, maybe I should do these things. There are certain right things to do. And therefore, if I do all these things, I can do that. Now it's a perfectly, from coming from that angle, it's a perfectly logical conclusion to do. But that doesn't mean that's the way God likes it. That's the way God wanted it. Now, the disciples and the rich man had the understanding of like, according to their understanding, kingdom of God is, now this is our way it goes, we have to earn it into it. Now just to give you the understanding of, at that time, they were waiting for kingdom of God. They were not seeing a kingdom coming from heaven. No, they were not expecting that. When they say kingdom of God, they were referring it to the political and spiritual redemption of Jewish people. Now, the Jewish community were actually under the Roman control. Now, they were referring to kingdom of God, meaning they were referring to God's people, Israelite, a Jewish community, and someone is going to come, the Messiah is going to come as a reformer to build them up. According to their text, he will be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He will be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. He will be a great judge. He will be a human being. Now, this was their understanding of kingdom of God. And they thought Jesus was the perfect person because he is going to go around throw and throw, throw things up. That's the reason why we have a story that disciples were ready to actually take the, take the sword and kill people for Jesus Christ. And Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to die. And Peter said, no, we don't. So in their understanding, the kingdom of God means we have to fight for it. We've got to get it. It's the same thing. The community, that's the way it thought. But that wasn't the way God wanted it. Now, how will we know? Look at the answer Jesus gave. 
in verse 27. Jesus looked at them when they asked the question, who then shall we say? He said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, it's the same thing. It, if we are trying our best, if Jesus were directly telling the disciples, you're not going to get it. Until unless you understand the kingdom of God has to be, it's not, not, it's not supposed to be how you thought it's supposed to be. That you cannot, if you are going to try yourself to please God, it's not going to happen. It can only be possible by God making a way. Now, did disciples understood that? Not really sure. We don't know what's the response. But, we know later, the disciples understood. In Acts chapter 4, 10 and 12, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and after everything happened, Jesus went away, and disciples were healing people, and disciples were called into the Sanhedrin council, telling them you cannot preach. Now, this is the response Peter and John gave. Uh, Acts chapter 4, 10 to 12. They said, know this. So remember, the, the, there, was a, there was an incident. They healed this crippled man and they're, they're giving an explanation of what happened. They said, know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. A salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, this exactly answer, the, the question back in, the mark, in Mark was, who then can be saved? They were just giving the answer in Acts, saying that the only one way you can be saved is actually through Jesus Christ. Now, we stand on the other side of history. We could see that what happened on the cross, we could see God working His way down to save humanity. There's no other way that we could have done to claim. But again, as I said, it basically goes back to our heart instinct. It, it, it's possible we can think being Christians as well. It, it's possible after being, being a Christian for a little while, we get into the tendency of like, maybe I had a privilege. Maybe I have a little bit of privilege to follow Christ. Maybe I'm a bit good. So sometimes this is how it goes, basically. Our moral morality doesn't come first. It is actually the product of the grace we, are, we have. So, for example, the commandment is, that we have the relationship with God first and from that relationship our moral behavior, our moral outpouring comes. It's, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we live life like that for a little while, because our heart is still in the sinful world, we get to the tendency that maybe I did something. I'm actually good. My moral being is fine now. We tend to get the comparison out. We're like, maybe I did something. Maybe I have some exclusive privilege, God chose me. Maybe I did something. It's, it's a normal tendency to go. The reason I say this is, I grew up in India, but my parents were pastors. 
Uh, I was privileged to be, again, I'm using privilege, privileged to be uh, born and raised in Eccleston home. But it was, it was great, and I, I could see, in a sense, miracle working through, uh, miracle happening in the name of Jesus. Things are great. I, 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 I didn't have any option, like any option in the sense, I didn't have any logically, like, why not believe in Jesus? Because you see miracles, it's amazing things happen in the name of Jesus Christ. But later in my age, when I went to university, the one thing happened is that the very thing growing up in church was slowly weighing me down was the expectations of people. The sense of like the rules I had to meet. The indirect expectations, you got to do all these things, do all these things. And I slowly lost my focus from the, the, the grace, from what Jesus did on the cross slowly went away to see that like, oh, I have to do all these things now. I should behave in this certain way. So my focus changed from Jesus to behaving. I was still on the church. I was still inside church. I was still going to church. I could do, I was in, in music team. I was, I can preach. I could do a lot of things. But my, my focus was in Christ. My focus was how to put on a good face in front of people. Now, at some point in my college life, I get to the point, this is not going to happen. I mean, this is too exhausting. Now, one thing will happen, again, bring psychology into it. Well, normally, if you had an experience, you know this. Keeping loss for a long time will exhaust you, one. Two, it will actually have a, develop a sort of fear in you. Because you know at some point, we are not going to meet that law. We're not going to, if you're not able to fulfill people's expectations, one. And when you, if, you, if you grew up in a church home, you will really understand, you are not going to do anything to impress God. Because God is all sovereign, He knows anything before you, you do it. Now, that's the best position you can be in, and where you die. Now, if you, if you have those, fear, the same time following rule, it doesn't go well. And I get to the point where God, this is not happening. I know that I've seen, I've seen the glory of God. I've seen that, that grace shine, but I'm not able to see it now. Because I'm only seeing the behavior. The more I try to improve, the more I mess it up. It's keep on going. It keep on, it's like falling into a mud pit. If you are in a, if you are in a place or if you are in a muddy place, what happens is like you have to have an outside hand coming and saving you. The more you try to dig, dig deeper, you fall in under the mud and you will sink. Now I had a moment and I told, I told God, listen, I, I, I know this love, I know scriptures, I know all this, but I can't understand this. Now I had, God gave me the reflection from 1 John chapter 4, it says, pure love cast away fear. Uh, Jesus has taken the punishment. Now, it's easy for us in a Christian community to fall on that spectrum of running the treadmill. Easy to tick the boxes. But on, at the end of it, what Jesus is looking for is a relationship of our trust to what Jesus did on the cross as a childlike trust. It's like stripping away everything, whatever holds on. Even if it is wealth we hold on to, even if going to church every Sunday, if that, that could be the best thing, it actually take you away from Christ. And I've heard a pastor say um, uh, last year 
the very ministry God gave you can be the very thing which is keeping away from keeping you away from God. Because we get in that treadmill of we have to perform, but we 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 miss the point. The point is looking at the cross with our own eyes and saying that God, there's nothing, there's no hopeful thing other than the cross. Therefore, I'm coming to the cross. Now, C.S. Lewis said this in. And great divorce. He said there there are only two kinds of people in this en- in the end, those who say to God, "Thy will be done," and those to whom God says in the end, "Thy will be done." Either we come to Christ and say, "Thy will be done," or at the end it will be too late when God say, "You wanted power, you wanted to do it own way, let your will be done." I want to close up now. So I want. Let's just bow down for a minute and to reflect on our relationship with Christ and say, are we are we are we trying our best to make it up? Are we trying our way up to get into God's kingdom, or are we actually seeing what God has done to have us into the kingdom of God? So let's have a moment of silence and reflect.